there's something weird about being a parent. The first moment you hold that kid in your arms, I mean, you're in. Like, it's all over. You're committed, and you're, you're, you're committed to that kid, and you'll, at that moment, you know, like, I'm, I'm stuck. Like, I'm, I'm going to do, my, my whole life is about this kid right there, right now. Both of my kids, uh, Lexi and Jackson, they were both born via C-section. And uh, so I kind of had the unique experience of being basically with them myself uh, for their first moments of life. Uh, so if you don't know C-section, without getting too graphic, basically they, they pull the kid out, like show the kid to mom, and then like finish taking care of mom and take the kid away. So with, with Lexi, uh, I remember I was sitting there for some time just, you know, sitting there rocking her. And I think Jackson had to spend a couple hours, uh, I don't know what they call it, underneath the, the dome or whatever for his oxygen levels. But still, I was there with him alone until mom got finished up. And, you know, they were both, they were both magical moments for me. And I think something happens in those moments, like this, this, this switch was like flipped in my head, where I was willing to do anything and everything for that kid, for my daughter. And I, I remember one, one story I remember is like when Lexi was about three years old, we had just gotten her in preschool, and she was attending this preschool where she could take a comfort item from home to class each day. And she had this stuffed giraffe that she loved. And she'd go to bed every night with that stuffed giraffe, always wanted to cuddle real, real close to her, and so one day, I was, I was the one who took her to, to preschool. So one day, we, we got her up, got her ready, and I took her to preschool, and she had her giraffe with her. And in the classroom, they had this little bin that you'd, you'd walk in, and you'd put, your, you'd put your, your comfort item in the bin, and then she'd spend the day with her class. Well, the only thing was, um, after, in the afternoon, they had a less structured time, and they spent most of the afternoon in, this, just in the gym at this, at, this, at this place. And so when I came to pick her up that night, I got her, picked her up, and guess what we forgot? The giraffe. Yeah. So later that night, we're trying to put her to bed at Karina's home, and, like, she's having none of it. Like, she needs her giraffe. And we're trying to give her, like, some other, like, uh, comfort item or what are those little things, the loveys? I mean, she none of it. She didn't want anything. So fortunately, fortunately for me, this was the night Karina was home. She wasn't working. So I was like... Let's just go for it. So I jumped in the car. I drove down to the preschool, and it just happened. Uh, her preschool was, was a preschool that met in a church, and they, yeah, I was fortunate. There happened to be worship practice that night, like 8 o'clock, 7.30, 8 o'clock at night. So I walked in the door, walked to her classroom. It was wide. The door was open. You know, not good practice probably by them. And sure enough, there was her giraffe, and got the giraffe and brought it home, and whew, it was, it was all saved. Um, it was all good. But I mean, like parents will do anything for their children. I remember when I was a kid, uh, we had my family had a 1984 Dodge Caravan. Anyone remember the Dodge Caravan? Back in the day, man, those things were like, there was like, that was like the pre-SUV of SUV. Like those things were so hot. We had a 1984, and if you remember, you remember on those Dodge Caravans, they had like, do you remember like the back windows? Like I don't know how to like they like kind of prop open a little bit. Like they didn't roll down, but they kind of like you prop them open. So I remember, I don't remember how old I was. I had to have been like six or seven. 
I had my little toy car, and I was playing like on the ridge. You can imagine on the back window as my mom's like driving down the streets of New York City. That's where we lived back then. And somehow, I don't know if she hit a bump or whatever, but the car, my little car, fell out the car into the street. And I'm like, Mom, Mom, my car. And would you believe it? She pulled over, middle of New York City, stopped the car, went out into the street and got my toy car. I need to call her up and thank her for that, don't I? Yeah. My dad, mind you, tells a similar story. I had to give my dad some love here. Um, I feel like, a, you know, gotta give, got to give him some love. So I don't, I don't really remember this. I'm not sure how old I was. But back in the day in New York City, my dad was a pastor in New York City. Back in the day in New York City, the Yankees, I don't know if it was both the Yankees and Mets, but in this case, I think it was the Yankees game, would give out free tickets to clergy, to pastors. So my dad, being a pastor, um, you know, he, he got a couple tickets for a game. I don't know if he knew uh, what was happening or whatever, but the game he happened to take me to was Glove Day. Now, I don't know if you all, how many are here baseball, baseball fans, but one of the things that I think has, to me, that just goes with baseball games is the giveaway days, right? Like there's days you go up, you show up to the park, you show up early, and they give you like a, a hat or or like a, a, a towel or some, some cheesy thing. And my, my dad loves, he loves those freedoms. Like, I can't, there a couple of years ago, I went, I met him for like Father's Day for Lex, and I took Lexi, and I'm like, Dad, don't worry. Like, we don't need to get there that early. They're giving out like 30,000 of these stupid hats. So <laughs> sure enough, we get there, and we, we got there late. I felt so bad, and he missed out on his hat. <laughs> but so uh, this day, it was baseball glove day for the kids. So we get there, and I, again, I don't remember this. So this is the story he tells. But he gets there, and like, you know, all the kids are they're passing out all the gloves to the kids. And I guess they see my dad's ticket, and it's like a clergy ticket. And they're like, hey, we, you, this is, you didn't pay for this. You don't get a glove. So if you can imagine, like, I'm standing there, like, little five or six-year-old me, like, seeing all these kids get gloves. <laughs> and, like, my dad's trying to figure out how to explain to me, like, Oh, you don't get a glove, son. So I would not envy his position if I had to do the same to Jackson. So I guess, you know, as, as, as short, as quickly after as he could, he went out and bought me a glove uh, to solve that problem. But, I mean, this is what we do as, as parents for our children. We'll do anything for our children. And, you know, maybe you're here, you're like, hey, I'm not a parent. But, you know, maybe you're an aunt, you're an uncle, you're a grandparent, uh, maybe you got some younger brothers or sisters, heck, even if you got some friends with them kids. I can't believe that if your little niece or your grandchild or your little sister or brother came up to you with those puppy dog eyes, that you wouldn't fall all over yourself to help that kid and do whatever you, think, whatever you could for that child. And, and if you don't have a child in your life, like you need to find a child to get in your life. Do it legally, of course. Uh, we're all for that. But I mean, <laughs> you know, I got to believe there's some like organization or school or something, nonprofit you can volunteer for uh, to have a child in your life in some capacity. Because as much as I, as much as I dramatize being a, a parent, and if you spend enough time around me, like, yes, I dramatize being a parent a lot. Um, like, there's something incredible. Like, there really is something incredible about having children in your life. And it's, I don't know if it's like their sense of wonder their energy, their love. I mean, it's just, 
we all could use the goodness of a child in our life. I mean, even this morning, while we're like 7, 7.30 in the morning, while we're sitting out in the parking lot, Lexi's like, Dad, we should start a, a social, no, we should start a climate change website. You know, I mean, <laughs> so I bet, I bet if you're here today, you've experienced that at least in some capacity. And I bet the first time you held your child again, whether it was your biological child, your grandchild, your niece, your nephew, whatever, I bet the first time you held that kid, that child, you knew you'd do whatever you could for that child. And I imagine those, those, those feelings that stirred uh, within our own hearts, those first time that we interacted with our child, are the same stirrings, those same feelings that are the same feelings that stir within the heart of Joseph, the adaptive or the adoptive father of Jesus. The first time he held that little baby Jesus. And again, if we remember according to the Bible, uh, Joseph was not Jesus' biological father, right? There was a the whole virgin birth thing. But regardless, Joseph was committed to that new life, and he had done whatever he could to take care of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And I'd bet that first time he held the little baby Jesus in his arms, he knew, he knew, no matter what, no matter the circumstances of the, of the conception, he knew that this was his cat, his baby, he was his child. And he was going to do anything and everything he could to take care of that child. And, and of course, if we remember the circumstances, Jesus was no ordinary child. There was a whole, the whole thing around his, his birth. And in this time of year, after we celebrated Jesus in the major, we, we talk about the magi, the wise men, these people who come from afar, they see the star, and they find the little baby Jesus. And if you remember the story, they ask uh, Herod, who's the ruler of that part, said, hey, we saw this star. Uh, we think there's somebody special being born. Can you tell us about it? So they, they, they you know, Herod doesn't know. So he goes, the, the magi go, and they go, and they see Jesus, and they give him the the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh, if you remember. And then they're warned in a dream not to return to tell Herod, but they go out and sneak out uh, the back way, I guess you'd say. So Paul is actually going to talk more about Herod next week. So I don't want to steal his thunder, but let's just say for now, like Herod was not a good dude um, and definitely did not want the best for that kid. We'll leave it at that for this week. Paul will we'll get some more next week. But we're going to, let's pick up the story, kind of give you the 30,000-foot uh, view. But let's pick up the story. I'm going to read in Matthew chapter 2. You're welcome to follow along either uh, in your own Bibles or on the screen behind me. But we're going to read Matthew 2, uh, chapter 13. So again, this falls right after the, the wise men had been warned in a dream not to go back to talk to Herod. So it starts out, again, Verse 13, when the Magi had departed, an angel from the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, get up, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod will soon search for the child in order to kill him. So Joseph got up during the night, took the child and his mother to Egypt. He stayed there until Herod died. 
This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet, I have called my son out of Egypt. So this week we're starting a new series called Unheard Of. We're looking at this familiar story, the story of the, the birth of Jesus and what happens immediately after the birth of Jesus, the infancy of Jesus, we might say. And we're looking for, or rather we're trying to listen for some voices we might not have ever heard before. Because sometimes it's those stories, it's those voices, it's those perspectives that we've never heard that oftentimes have the most to teach us. And most of the time, those are the voices that we need to hear. I mean, in, in 21st century life, uh, there is so much noise. I mean, every day is just another torrent of information, like coming down our throats, you know, overwhelming our ears and our mind, you know, from TV to uh, the internet, social media, to newspapers, if, if anybody still reads newspapers. There are so many things competing for our attention. There's so many different voices trying to be heard that either, either we just find it all to be inaudible noise, or we, we only hear the loudest, strongest voices. And the problem is when we only listen for the loudest or hear the loudest, we, and when we can't decipher from among the noise, we we often miss out on those voices that we really need to hear. And Joseph, Joseph is one of those voices that we really need to hear. And I know, I know that might come as a surprise to some because, you know, when we think of, when we, when we think of Jesus, or Joseph, like, we don't really think of him as that being a, that much of a hard luck guy. Um, I, I don't know if you've seen the commercial uh, this Wix commercial where this guy's like talking about Wix and his, he's like, he's his bike shop owner. And if you've seen that commercial where he's like, he's got his bike shop and he's got this beard and he's got this flannel and he's like, he's building his website talking about bikes. I think like in 21st century America, or at least especially in 20th century America, like this is, this is who we think about when we think of like Jesus. Like, you know, he's like this like, uh, you know, upper, like this middle class white guy who's got like, you know, he's like, he started out with like, he started out just like making some 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 uh, some furniture in his in his garage, right? And then like you know he started making some 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 custom furniture for like his friends, and then somehow like evolved into this like business, and it's like this full time business. So we think of like Joseph as this like you know this 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 middle class white guy living in the suburbs, you know, with his own custom carpentry business. And and, that's, and I think that's what we think about a lot of times when we think of Joseph. But, but the reality is, is rather, Joseph was this poor, migrant, low-income Middle Easterner. And, and being a man of limited resources, when a threat came to his beloved family, to his beloved child, he did the only thing he could do. He ran. And he took, he took Mary and the baby Jesus to this strange land, Egypt. Now, the past week, and maybe it's been two weeks ago, I don't remember, you know, social media changes like overnight to the next controversy, right? But whether it was last week or a couple of weeks ago, there's this big kind of, you know, all this talk on, on Twitter at least about was the baby Jesus like technically a refugee? And there's some people who are like thinking, oh, you know, he, Mary and the, the family had traveled to Bethlehem, thinking that was what the refugee thing was about. 
And then there's other people who are like, you know, Rome was technically part of the Roman Empire, or not Rome, Egypt was technically part of the Roman Empire, so it wasn't really, you know, they're just like doing like cross-country travel. And I don't know whether or not, like, whether or not Jesus would fit the 21st century definition or United Nations definition of what a, a refugee is, in my opinion at least, in the opinion of people a lot smarter and more educated than me, the Holy Family was a refugee family. Jesus was a refugee. And I think when we start to understand that, when we think about Jesus and the family in that perspective, that really, I mean, it changes everything. And I think when we understand Jesus, when we understand Joseph's family in that light, we begin to hear Joseph's voice in a new way. I mean, perhaps we can imagine Joseph awaking suddenly in the middle of the night in a start, or perhaps, you know, springing out of bed early in the morning, trying not to disturb the little baby. Or, or perhaps we can imagine him trying to say in hushed tones to Mary, hey, we need to get up. We need to get going and trying not to wake the baby. But, and, and we can imagine Mary's confusion, like, what's going on, Joseph? Had not the Magi, had not the Magi just visited? Like, I just finished arranging, you know, the gold and frankincense and, and myrrh, like, in the, in the nursery. And Joseph, didn't you just put together the crib? Like, what's going on? And now in the wee hours of the early morning, she's trying to make sense of these words that she's hearing, and her mind's got to be spinning out of control. What is going on? And while we can't go back in time and hear the harried voice of Joseph as he tries to rouse his family from slumber and rush out the door before soldiers appear on his doorstep, I think we can hear Joseph's voice in the Syrian fleeing a years-long civil war conflict in his own homeland. I think we can hear Joseph's voice in the Central American father who says to his teenage child, I love you, and sends him off on his own, alone, in hope of a better life for his son who he loves. I think we can hear Joseph's voice in the Mexican father who leaves his family in Mexico, travels across a long, empty, dry desert in hoping to find a job that he can send money back to his family. But to hear Joseph's voice, I think we really have to listen. I think we have to listen above the constant stream of, of distraction and entertainment and voices. I think we have to listen through those voices of, of anger and hatred and racism. And I think we have to listen through the commotion and the anxiety of our own hearts. But I think if we really listen, if we really listen with our own ears and our own hearts, we would hear Joseph's voice in our heart and in our mind. 
We'd remember those times we saw our, our little kid, our little baby, our little niece, our little nephew. And we remember those moments that we knew we'd do anything for that kid. So here, this is the thing, I think. As much as, like, as often as, as much as Americans or white Americans think about G, uh, Joseph as this, like, middle-class, like, carpenter dude, like, I think a lot of times we as Americans, at least as white Americans, we identify uh, as kind of like the heroes of the story, as, as maybe Mary and Joseph, when in reality, like, we probably have the most in common with someone from Egypt. I came across this, this poet, poem the other day, and I want to read it. And I quote, If I were to figure out who I am in the gospel story, I would not say I'm Joseph. I'm at best some random person in Egypt living in a land of safety while those outside flee to something I get by chance. So I think about how unwilling I am to face this worldwide reality, and I wonder, I wonder, what would have happened if Egypt would have blocked Joseph at the border. As powerful as those words are, I'm not so sure we need to wonder. Because I think in many ways we see it happening in our world. We see it in the face of the Syrian migrant as he readies his family in a little life raft to voyage across the sea. We see it in the tears of children separated from their families sleeping on cold concrete. We see it in the eyes of migrant parents as they're reunited with their children. And as powerful as the words of those that poem is, I think it might, you know, if anything, maybe stop short. Like, we can imagine what might have happened if Joseph was stopped at the border because, I mean, it's what's happening at our very own border. And I think if we stop for a moment and listen to our own hearts and our own mind, we'll hear Joseph's voice in the voice of those crying out today. So I think we've got to listen, to really listen to those unheard of voices, those unheard of people, because I think when we listen for those voices, we'll hear the voices of the Holy Family, of the Father, Joseph. So I think, I think really the choice is ours. Like when some desperate family comes knocking, Mary, Joseph, baby Jesus, they were a desperate family. How are we going to respond? Are we going to hear in, hear in Joseph's voice, the voice of our own, who would do whatever it takes, whatever it takes to take care of our own child? Or are we going to hear the voice of the callous, the careless, 
old. Which voices will we listen to? I invite you to listen to those voices that are unheard of. Let's pray. Hey, thanks for tuning in with us this week. You can check back for new messages each Tuesday. If you're in the Denver area, come see us this Sunday. You can find out more about our service times as well as the mission and vision of M.G. Thornton at mgthornton.org. That's M-G-T-H-O-R-N-T-O-N dot O-R-G. See you next week.